Hello and welcome to the podcast summary of the board meeting between the 16th and the 20th of July 2012. My name is Mark Byatt. I'm joined today by Ian McIntosh, Vice Chairman of the IASB, and uh, Sue Lloyd, Senior Technical Director uh, from the IASB. Hello. Um, Ian, perhaps we could start with you, uh, some general comments, uh, and also if you could begin by talking about investment entities. Yes, thanks, Mark. It was a very long and um, busy week, but uh, we did have quite a deal of success, I think, and we are progressing uh, a number of the standards uh, quite rapidly. Um, We came to the end of our discussions on investment entity and leases. We'll go into these in more detail in a minute. Uh, Also with classification and measurement, we had some interesting discussions on impairment. We proceeded at a good rate on revenue recognition We had a very brief overview on insurance and the macro hedging program also comes on. So there were seven major topics and good progress made on each. And to begin with investment entities, uh, we had uh, two discussions on investment entities, one on the 16th with FASB and one on the 19th of July by ourselves. Uh, At the joint meeting with FASB, We talked about how an entity would determine whether it is an investment entity and we went through criteria and and reached agreement uh, on what would make up an investment entity. Uh, We did decide that it should have all of four characteristics, that is multiple investments, multiple investors, investors that are not related to the parent entity or the investment manager and ownership interests in the form of equity or partnership interests. Uh, At the meeting on the ISB by itself on the 19th, um, we went through a lot of really um, uh, more minor issues, but a number of them that always come up when we're getting to the end of a standard, and we had to make, and we did make, decisions on all of them, including things like transition, due process, what disclosures we need, and a major one, I guess, was the request for extension of exception to consolidation. And in that regard, we decided we would not extend the exception to consolidation for insurers, insurance investment fund subsidiaries. But the good news at the end of both those uh, sessions was that we moved to proceed to ballot the investment entities' requirements, which is me- means we're moving to a standard. Um, We looked at the date of application, we're looking at January 2014, but with early application expected um, with a lot of the people involved. Okay. Um, Sue, perhaps we could ask you to provide a summary of the discussions on classification and measurement. Okay, sure. So at last week's board meeting there were two sessions on classification and measurement, one joint one with the FASB and, and one of our own. Um, So talking about the joint one first, um, at the joint discussion as part of the limited modifications to classification and measurement, we discussed what the mechanics or journal entries should be around reclassifications of financial assets. In the new model, as in IFRS 9 today, if if an entity's business model changes, it must reclassify its financial assets. IFRS 9 already deals with this for items that change their classification from amortised cost to fair value P&L or back again. Um, and this, at this discussion we talked about what the mechanics would be from an ISB perspective if you had a reclassification that involved a movement into or out of the new fair value through OCI category and we agreed those mechanics. 
At the ISB only session, it was the last um, discussion that we anticipate in terms of um, this project, and so we were into um, transition and disclosure discussions. So just highlighting a couple of the key decisions there. Um, probably the most extended discussion was about the um, application of IFRS 9, given that at the moment we have IFRS 9 that's just financial assets, just financial liabilities, and soon we'll have a version of IFRS 9 that also incorporates hedge accounting. And the board discussed the complexity for users of having all of these different variations of IFRS 9 available at one time. And the board tentatively decided that when we finalise IFRS 9, so when we um, finalise the classification and measurement model and add that and impairment to IFRS 9, once that is published, an entity who applies IFRS 9 would be required to apply the whole of IFRS 9, so all of the earlier variations would no longer exist. The board also tentatively decided to still permit early application of IFRS 9, but of that whole model once it's published. Now that obviously will be put out for comment as part of, of the exposure draft. There was also some discussion about the interaction between impairment and classification and measurement for this fair value OCI category, where the board decided that because the balance sheet presentation of that category was focused on fair value, that presentation of an allowance balance on the face should be prohibited, but that impairment disclosures should still be provided for debt instruments that are measured at fair value OCI in a manner consistent with those that are measured at amortised cost. Okay, thank you. Ian, perhaps you could provide us with an update on the discussion on leases. Yes, this was uh, discussed jointly with FASB and was a very long session, again very successful and, and covering all the points that do crop up when you come towards the end of uh, your discussions. So we discussed lessee accounting, transition, presentation and disclosure relating to leases for which the lessee would recognise a single lease expense in the Statement of Comprehensive Income. Uh, we discussed lessor receivable and residual approach, how the lessor would measure the underlying asset if the lease terminates or expires, what we'd do about interim disclosures, <coughs> and we looked at the comment period for the revised exposure draft. Um, we reached agreement on all items uh, discussed uh, during those long sessions and uh, we decided at the end that the revised exposure draft for leases should have a comment period of 120 days which is a, a longish uh, comment period. Uh, the next steps are to complete uh, this, this um, meeting completed the ISB's public discussions at this stage of the project other than issues that might arise during the drafting process and the staff now plan to proceed to drafting the revised exposure draft for publication in the final quarter of this year. So that was uh, very good progress and we're looking forward to getting that document out. Okay. Um, Sue, can we come back to you on financial instruments? So there was a discussion on impairment? That's right, there was an ISB only discussion on impairment this um, meeting uh, where we focused on um, presentation of interest revenue and then some um, issues uh, to deal with sort of the finishing touches of the project on disclosures and, and transition. So if I look at presentation of interest revenue first of all, um, the board there tentatively decided that both purchased credit impaired loans and originated credit impaired loans 
should be subject to um, different impairment accounting to, to normal assets, if I can describe them that way. Um, it's consistent with the decisions the boards have made previously about purchase credit impaired loans, saying that the effective interest rate on those assets should take account of the initial estimates of expected losses and that any changes in lifetime expected losses should always be recognised in full. The other thing the board then discussed was the presentation of interest revenue for assets that had been originated that weren't credit impaired, so the vast majority of assets. And to date the board had decided that an entity should calculate interest revenue based on the um, gross carrying amount of assets, so ignoring impairment allowances. And a concern was raised that that would mean that if you had something where payments had stopped, for example, that that would overstate the revenue line. So at this meeting, the board agreed that to improve the presentation of interest revenue, if an asset becomes credit impaired during its life, then interest revenue should from that point be calculated on the net carrying amount of the asset, so taking into account the impairment allowance. So for both the originated and purchased credit impaired loans and also for that interest revenue decision, we'd used the concept of credit impaired. And the board decided that the um, notion of credit impaired for these purposes should use um, the incurred loss criteria that exists already in IAS 39, which is a concept obviously that people are already familiar with today that are applying IAS 39. So we thought that that would um, help simplify the move-in models for um, our preparers. Um, I won't go through all of the disclosure discussions. Um, the, the decisions are set out in our, in our paper version of update. Um, but I will touch on briefly a couple of the key points on the um, transition discussions. Uh, the first was that the board tentatively decided that um, generally when somebody moves to the new impairment model, it should be done on a retrospective basis. So you should look at the initial credit quality of an asset and its current credit quality to decide whether it should have a whole of life or a 12-month expected loss allowance established. However, the board was very much aware that for some, the, the cost and effort required to get that initial credit quality information could be very burdensome. So the board decided that if um, that credit quality information could only be obtained with undue cost and effort, that an entity would transition into the model just using the current credit quality of the assets to decide um, the appropriate allowance balance. Another decision that the board made mindful of the fact that entities probably um, historically didn't calculate lifetime or um, expected losses at all, was to say that while they would allow entities to restate comparative periods on transition to the new model, it would not be required and it would only be permitted if that information could be provided by somebody without the use of hindsight. So sort of permitted but not required in that circumstance. And, and that really wrapped up our current scheduled impairment decision-making discussions. Yes, and uh, we were hoping, uh, the ISB were hoping, that that would uh, lead us to drafting an exposure draft. However, at the, um, at the end of the meeting, FASB uh, let us know that they'd been performing some outreach uh, in the United States, particularly with uh, financial institutions, of course, and they were hearing that there may be operational uh, difficulties and that not everybody was understanding how the concept of deterioration might work. So they've decided um, to get a summary of the feedback for a start, to discuss that at their next meeting and then uh, to make decisions on how they'll move forward. 
Um, our chairman, Hans Hugevors, uh, expressed some uh, dismay, I think you could say, at, at that uh, decision and, and felt that really, uh, given the length of time we've de been debating this issue and given the number of models we've tried to try and get some consensus in the community, uh, that it was a real disappointment that the uh, process would be held up at this stage. But we don't know their next steps yet, do we? No, so that, we they're don't. going to discuss the feedback they've got and then decide from there. So we just know, have to wait and whether, see. Whether they go forward or what they do next. Okay. All right, let's turn to another convergence project, uh, revenue recognition. Ian. Yes, a good joint session on revenue recognition. We went through uh, separate performance obligations, uh, performance obligations satisfied over time. We looked at licenses and we looked at losses arising from onerous obligations. Um, in relation to identifying separate performance obligations, the boards decided to retain the concept of a distinct good or service to improve the assessment of whether a good or service is distinct and to remove the practical expedient which permitted an entity to account for two or more distinct goods or services as a single performance obligation if they have the same pattern of transfer, so that expedient was removed. Um, performance obligation satisfied over time, we made some refinements as to how that was done. Uh, on licenses, there was an interesting discussion and uh, there were people still expressing concern as to how uh, the recognition would work over licenses and the staff were asked to perform additional analysis and to bring the topic back to a future meeting. A big decision was made in relation to losses arising from onerous obligations um, and we tentatively decided to not develop new requirements for onerous contracts which is a change from where we've been um, in the past. As a result the ISB tentatively decided that the requirements for onerous contracts in IS 37 should apply to all contracts with customers within the scope of the standard. Uh, so that uh, project is moving on. It'll be brought um, back uh, in September at the next board meeting, and we're hopeful that we'll continue to make good progress on that project. Okay. Um, Sue, perhaps you could just wrap up talking about the discussion on insurance. Okay, and macrohydrocarbon. And sorry, yes. <laughs> um, yes, both, neither of these were decision-making sessions, so they were really more for the information of the board um, Firstly, the insurance contracts discussion. Um, unusual for us at the moment not to have had a decision-making meeting on insurance contracts, so I think that the, the board felt the weight of a few less board papers. Um, but at this meeting, the um, ISB received a summary of our recent insurance contracts working group meeting. Um, and at that working group meeting, the staff had given the working group an update on some of the tentative decisions that had been made recently and asked for feedback from the group on, the, on those aspects of the project including um, adjustments to the residual margin um, and the use of OCI in the insurance um, contracts project. So no decisions were made, it was, it was just for purposes of update. Um, and lastly, uh, from me, on uh, accounting for macro hedge accounting, uh, the board dis uh, continued their um, information discussions, if you like, on the macro hedge accounting model that we're um, investigating at the moment continuing further with this 11-step process that we're going through. We're at step seven of the 11-step process. And at this meeting, what the board discussed was how entities sometimes incorporate 
capital management objectives into their overall um, interest rate risk management. Um, sometimes the banks refer to this as their equity model book um, management. And the board essentially walked through how that works in practice and discussed what the implications for a macro hedge accounting model would be if we were to include an equity model book approach or to exclude it. So no decisions were made and we expect to continue the discussions on accounting for macro hedge accounting at the September meeting. Okay. So uh, I guess we're entering a, a relatively quiet period. Uh, no public meeting in August, so next board meeting in September. That's right, towards the end of September, I think, the third week. Good. Okay, well, um, Ian, Sue, thank you for your time. That leaves me to provide the obligatory health warning that these are the personal views of the presenters and may or may not necessarily represent those of the IASB. The official summary of the board meeting is provided by IASB Update, which is available to download from the IASB website. Thank you.